We are trying to solve what we feel is a very divergent gap between what employers are willing to offer and what employees expect. You're an author. I love that you're a VP at Salesforce. That's freaking yes. phenomenal. That's that's wonderful. I saw that we had you like talking about the Great Resignation as well, too. Oh yes, cool. good, good. You know, I, I, I write and speak a lot about this. Yeah. You know, inflection point in our lives, and you know, it is. I, I'm sort of an interesting paradox, right? Because I'm also I work in a, in a huge company, but I'm also an entrepreneur, right? I mean, the books fall under my own business, even though they're an extension of my day job yeah. at Salesforce. So I sort of get to do both and get perspectives, you know, from businesses and of all sizes and people and all different kinds of organizations. So it's just been kind of interesting how people are taking stock and, you know, what's showing up right now is possible. And I think that's yeah. what's exciting. What yeah. might be possible. Right on. That's a, let's go to, to that route today. Feel yeah. free to ask me questions too, when you want to, because I've good. Okay. Put, so yeah. you're good with kind of a little back and Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. There's been some to where I felt like I was being interviewed the whole time, which I'm good with too, because it's, it's interesting insights. I feel I can bring to the table. We just, uh, we just launched our IPO under Reggae Plus. For Congratulations. A thank you. Thank you. That's <laughs> for, a big deal. Yeah, no wonder you need that burger. Yeah, I know. Oh, good God. Yes. So th that's, we're acquiring 50 plus smaller IT firms over the next two years across the US. And that's what the direction we're going. So we're seeing a lot of this too, you know, just firsthand as far as the great resignation goes. And that's something I'm actually helping to try to curb a little bit. Because in my industry, every everybody's underpaid, you know, which we can go into that too. And there's reasons behind that. But whatever you feel yeah. where you want to go, but it'd be a fun topic. Yeah, so, let's let's yeah. go in that direction. Because I think you're in a position where because you're bringing so many companies together, you, you have the benefit of getting to create a new culture or to yeah. create a culture shift. Yep. And, and so many people like feel stuck, right? Like, now, now what, what do we do? And so I'm sure you're having all these discoveries. And of course you like everyone else are wanting this to be comprised of, you know, top talent and also people who like doing what they're doing. Right. I mean, I don't think your objective yeah. is to like people into the ground. You're like, how do we live well and work well? And the beautiful thing is when you're, when you're sort of bringing people together and having a chance to build something new, I think it's easier for all of us to see this like white space opportunity. I think yeah. we struggle yeah. more when we're trying to do it from within a current construct. I feel you. Um, Ryan, are we yeah. recording? We are. Okay. That's good. <laughs> cool. That's lovely. I know. Yeah. So, hey, I, I don't know yeah. where we started today. I don't know. But what's shaking? Welcome back, everyone who's <laughs> listening right now. We, we've been talking for a bit, you know, so a lot of this is going to come in. But my, my guest today is Karen Mangia. Did I pronounce your last name right, Karen? You know, good enough. This is what I found over the time. You know, I have a crazy Italian last name. Manja. Eat. Manja. Eat in Italian. And I have, I have discovered over time, I have heard every pronunciation of my last name. And the only one I find truly unsettling is Mangi. Oh, wow. I, I don't know how they could get that from there. I no, know. I wouldn't go that way. No. Oh, no. Yes, that one has too much rich context for me. But all others are acceptable. Yeah. Yep. So if you've stuck with us so far, we've been having a good time. And... Believe me, you're going to want to share this out with three people. Trust me on this today because this is going to be incredible. Karen has just this incredible dichotomy because she's VP in Salesforce of Customer Market Insights, right? 
Yes. Awesome. But then also an entrepreneur, which is intriguing to me too. How does that work? Where's the entrepreneur fit in? You know, what I really appreciate about Salesforce is we have maintained our entrepreneurial spirit as a company. And for some perspective, I've been at Salesforce five and a half years and worked in two other big tech companies prior to that. And we're so fortunate at Salesforce that we are still led by our two co-founders, Mark Benioff and Parker Harris. And you know they have maintained this entrepreneurial spirit within the company. And we are all encouraged to be more curious ask questions, try things. And particularly a drumbeat of the message over the past two years is to really be thoughtful about how we can be of service. You know, how we can use the skills that we have to to try to help people navigate through these really uncertain times. And so what's so fascinating about my job in customer market insights and working in market strategy is my job is to sort of have a big question in mind that looks in the direction of how could we build the future together and then spent time with lots of people having that conversation about how the future could look and ideally, you know, inspire people through those conversations to want to build that future and that vision with Salesforce. And as an extension of my role there, I'm encouraged to share thought leadership. You know, what is it that my colleagues and I are discovering that could be for the benefit or betterment of companies, organizations, society, and really humans uh, at large? And so I've had the opportunity to publish four books, uh, write blogs and interview series. Yes. And I've got colleagues who have wonderful television shows, podcasts. The idea is, how do we have a conversation that really looks in the direction of what might be possible? So I'm very fortunate. I get to do both. I get to be curious and I get to go create. And and I love so many things about my job, but that's probably the top of the list. That's so awesome. Even with Salesforce having so many rounds of funding and you know growing so large over the years that you're still led by your two co-founders because that doesn't happen. Salesforce is a very mature company at this point. Yeah, continuously raises capital too to continue expanding. I know just they just acquired Slack not too long ago as well. Right. Well, as we are, have been thinking about how the future looks, if we really want to realize this vision of making it possible for organizations to give employees the flexibility, autonomy, and choice that that they're seeking, right? That they're messaging in a very urgent way that they want and need to feel happy and successful and be loyal to an organization. You know, we need a new workflow, right? So, you know, when I think about something like Slack, I think about it as an invitation to think differently about what work is, how it happens and when it happens and to really enable that asynchronous workflow in a way that makes it possible for us to have highly engaged, high-performing employees who have all kinds of life scenarios and preferences and ways that they work at their best. And so, you know, I think about this concept of the digital headquarters and really what underlines everything that's happening right now with work and the workforce and the workplace is really the workflow that makes it possible to support people in their highest aspirations and outcomes in that space. And I'm guessing the work that you're doing, you're coming to some of those same discoveries as well. I mean, people are looking to step into a new kind of freedom, even inside of companies where they already work. For sure. Right on. And we're looking at that too. Cause I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about my IPO and acquiring 50 companies over the next two years. And even from the creative aspect of this, I really see it as a as like this broad, plain canvas that I get to brush strokes on 
Now, you know, similar to like you were saying, you get to ask the questions and that's what I've been doing for the past two years because it's taken that long to get ready for our public offering. You know, it, ju it just does. That's how long it takes. And those questions that are out there is, you know, one of them was why are people leaving so much in such droves over the past two years? Because we're, we've been in this scenario now for two years, the great resignation, as it's called. Another one is what's causing, you know, what's causing this from a foundational level? Is it economics? Is it is it just general lack of culture, you know, which it sounds like Salesforce is excelling at too? Is it lack of the right tools to do your job? You know, whereas internally we use Slack here, you know, we can get on that tangent, but we've even made that like the central hub of everything and even done custom development to bring a better level of customer experience with interactions, bringing our customers into our Slack channels via text message threads. You know, it was a custom app that we developed for this just to meet them where they're at. But what have you seen? Because has Salesforce seen some of the effects with the great culture you have with the great resignation? What we're discovering, and I'm fortunate as part of my role, I have the opportunity to serve as kind of a site leader helping to give our distributed workforce and people who plan to largely remain in a distributed non-core office context, sort of a voice and an identity, just like you would for a physical good, office. Good, yeah. Yes. And as we listen to people and try to represent the use cases of what people need and want now, you know, what shows up so frequently are people who are asking for some more flexible work arrangements, you know, and that could range from arriving at some team agreements about what hours are you expected to be responsive? Because it's easy to feel like right now it's all the time. So, how do we explore and have that conversation in a thoughtful way and arrive at some team agreements you can document? And also, how do we honor and think about some of what people consider to be a benefit now? I mean, I was laughing because I, I had someone say, you know, when I think about what matters to me right now and what I would really consider a benefit... I mean, the free bike share program doesn't really do anything to improve the quality of my life. You know what would? Uh, some free blocks of tutoring hours for my children or a concierge service that could like run a few errands for me so that I could offload some of those life tasks and be more present with people, whether those people are my yeah, coworkers yeah. or my family when I'm with them. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I mean, this isn't, you know, they're saying, could you construct like some, you know, could you drop off like an Airstream in my backyard? It's like have a wonderful home working environment. They're saying, could you offer me the gift of choice so that I can choose? And, you know, you and I were just talking about the great resignation and thinking about culture. And I think so much of what is happening right now is we are trying to solve what we feel is a very divergent gap between what employers are willing to offer and what employees expect. And if I think about how to narrow that gap, I just, I almost think about a Venn diagram of how do we solve for what's in the middle that says, employees view these sets of choices as favorable and employers are willing to offer those choices. Yeah. And within that, people get that sense of agency, that sense that they have some influence over the environment and context that helps them show up at their best. And that can be reconciled. It just takes deep listening and deep conversations. And I'm guessing if if you're bringing 50 different companies together, you're probably doing some of that work yourself as you're creating a new culture. For sure. Yeah. We've even brought on specialized teams, you know, that, that were led by a former Navy SEAL, you know, which is, I mean, they're all about teams. 
You know, they're, they're literally right. counting on their 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 teammates, the other soldiers that are with them for life and death scenarios every single day. So it's amazing. It, we're putting a whole playbook together to integrate cultures, bring people on board, have behavioral change. You know, because uh, one way or the other, it's uh, when you acquire that many, you know that some people are just going to make the choice, elect to go somewhere else just because it's different. But how do we, like you were talking about, bring those two perspectives together to say, okay, here's where we can meet. And I think you're going to like what's here in the middle too, you know, from, from both sides. So you're saying that to both the employers and the employees. I think you're going to like what's in the middle. Yeah, it's, I feel like this conversation that you're talking about was really bubbling under the surface probably for about the last decade. And yes. it was only just accelerated over the past two years because of the economic and, and workplace conditions that were brought on by, by current worldwide events. Well, and what I'm hearing you say is, you know, when we think about it, what shows up is we carry this myth or misconception that success is about more, right? Whether that's more products, more profits, more activities, more accomplishments, we sort of buy into this belief that we have to do more to have more to be more and that will sum up to success, right? And yeah. then along comes something like the great resignation, reevaluation, whatever you'd like to call it. And employees are sending their employers this urgent signal in mass that says, you know, the more that's being offered, and in many cases, even if that's more pay, more PTO or more perks, isn't summing up to success for them. And that kind of got me thinking, I'm like, well, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe mm. it's not, not, maybe it's not that more is inherently so flawed. It's more of what? And as I started reflecting that on that thought, it was like, it's more of what matters. People are saying, you know, I, I want to have room and space in my day for more of what matters. Yeah. yeah. And that just isn't necessarily in every case, better vision insurance, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an opportunity to live and to work in alignment with our values, right? Yeah. On a consistent basis. We're seeing a lot of that. I like how that's becoming the forefront of the thought process of a lot of individuals now, you know, cause it, it used to be, it, I hated all those articles that you would see a decade ago. It's like, Oh, millennials are all about the perks, you know, and everything, you know, they're looking for them. Like, are you kidding me? Like that? I don't think that's going to last too long because it, it seemed to me like it was just sort of a fad. Right. And if you take a look at WeWork as an example, now, granted, there was a lot of things from the top down that were going on that were not very good ethically speaking, you know, but if you walked into a WeWork, I mean, they'd have a beer keg there, they'd have the espresso machine, you know, I used to actually record this podcast via a branding agency I used years ago that had their studios in a WeWork, you know, and every wine, every Wednesday, they'd have wine Wednesday at night, and they'd have these perks. Yeah, it was great to get together. But then as soon as everything hit, and even all the WeWork shut down because of the lockdowns and everything else, people really didn't miss those. You know, mm. it, it, it didn't really matter much. Even the employees you could see at the front desk as you're walking into a WeWork, just the drudge on their faces because they really didn't care about these perks. You know, it's a, and that's where I feel like a lot missed the boat over the years and saying, well, how do we align their values with the company values? And that's the path moving forward. Right. And, and what shows up for me and what you said, you know, you went to a physical place and you had an experience. And within that, there was some sense of belonging and community because you were around a group of people 
who are doing the same thing. And what I hear so frequently from both leaders, you know, and individuals who are in more of a work from home environment, or they feel that they're working in a way that's isolated from other people they might be working with. I mean, what have you discovered or what are you hearing from your own teams about how to create that sense of community and connectedness and belonging when we aren't together in person? Because yeah. I feel like this is what so many people are trying to solve for it. That's sort of the missing piece for a lot of people is who owns community and how does that happen when we don't have this common <laughs> gathering place right on. and this yep. shared sense of identity and belonging? Yeah, I was just interviewed by Business Insider for the same exact thing. And what I had, uh, I mean, identical that thing. And while we have a, div- a very diverse workforce too, spread across the US and a couple of outlying countries as well, and bringing together some of the employees, you know, as much as we can every once in a while is something that we contribute to. It's like, it doesn't matter how much the airfare costs. It doesn't matter whatever, because we still have that sense of community, actually, even around this show, even around all in one of our Ryan, who, who puts together a game, we used to use jeopardy, you know? And so everybody listens to it and it's like, how do we do this? And then we give away some prizes, right? But it's funny because even in production, we'll show or post-production, we'll show some of the outtakes, you know, cause right. they'll do like some crazy screen grabs of me, right? Making some weird facial expressions just because they caught right. that freeze frame. Exactly. But this happens once a week, you know? And then as often as we can, we bring people together at the same time, even though it is a very diverse workforce. So it, and you know what the best thing was, Karen is, I didn't come up with any of these, these ideas. Right. The, 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 the entire team collectively came up with these ways to continue to build community. And that's what was incredible to me. It's like, this is happening without me. I just have to be like, cool, this is great. Let's spearhead this forward. What you are saying right now is so powerful because I think what you just highlighted is the leadership lesson of our time. And that is... The role of a leader now, at least in my opinion, is not about being the one who shows up with, with all the best answers. Being a leader who is of the moment and of our time who resonates is about being the leader who shows up with the best questions, right? For example, how could we have some fun and create a sense of community or belonging in our organization and then give people an opportunity to share it with you? You know, I think. Tapping into the power of curiosity, tapping into our beginner's mind is one of the most powerful things we can do as leaders right now because none of us have the answers. I mean, as far as I know, we are all living through this global pandemic for the first time together. I don't think we have a lot of seasoned leaders who've led through this before and just know what to do. So within that, I feel like what happens is knowing is the enemy of discovering. You know, if I'm so certain that as a leader, I know the answers, we miss out on the opportunity to discover what might be possible from the people we lead and all of these hidden talents and capabilities that people have start to come through. There's a lot of hidden talents and capabilities, a lot of them. There's a, you you mentioned the one word about, you know, curiosity. There's a phrase that I love that I've learned recently, actually, that almost compels response. So from a leadership perspective, for those that are listening, you know, or, or watching, you know, this is a great phrase, you know, and if it's something like that, you're trying to figure out how to build community within your team, you know, if they, if they don't come into the office anymore, or if they're diverse, uh, spread out across the US or wherever, that phrase, I'm curious is a fantastic way to start a, a, a sentence as a leader. It's like, I'm curious how we would create more community. And you say this in almost like an all hands meeting, like a level 10 meeting, because it compels response. And then it just creates an open atmosphere for invitation for anybody to say, hey, well, I've got a thought. Well, and 
Along those same lines, another approach I found somewhat similar and a slightly different word is I wonder. And this yeah, is not like, yep. I wonder what would happen if, you know, we fired Bob because he's late every week and his PowerPoint slides are horrendous <laughs> and the project is over budget. Or like, I wonder what would happen if I updated my LinkedIn profile, you know, started going to the gym yeah. more and changed my headshot. It's not that. I wonder is a tool to get curious. I mean, so imagine, you know, right now, maybe you and I are trying to solve some kind of a challenge, right? Or, or you've got a, someone on your team who brings you this challenge as opposed to being the manager who dispenses the wisdom, theoretically, of what to do or how to solve that. The difference in moving from manager to coach is tapping into that power of curiosity that I wonder and doing the brainstorming with that colleague, right? With that employee. And so, you know, I think about that. It's like, in that conversation, everything changes when you say, you know, I wonder what would happen if we asked our employees how to solve the sense of belonging. Yeah. I, I wonder what other organizations our size are doing something innovative. I wonder if there's an award we could go after that would give people an incentive for this. I wonder, you know, and it's, it's it, both of what we're talking about here, the, these two very simple starting sentences, I'm curious and I wonder, really sort of open us up to the fact that there's a range of possibilities and that choice is always on and always available. And I think sometimes we lose that. You know, we, we get stuck. We get this very narrow vision. We think there's like one choice, one possibility. And as the leader, I must come up with this and dispense it to the team. And I think this takes that pyramid and turns it absolutely the opposite direction and says, how do we open up? Right on. There's a there's something you said in there too, which I la I laughed on the inside. And it, it, when you said, "How do we fire Bob?" and I, I'm curious. This is a, this is a total like distraction and tangent here. But what is it about Bob? Because I just did an episode the other day about cybersecurity and how there's always a Bob in every organization that clicks on everything. And you said, <laughs> "Like, how do we fire Bob?" We had this joke going internally. It's like hashtag fire Bob. You know, so <laughs> who's, who's, who's Bob and why does he always have to get fired? <laughs> Wasn't that a movie with Bill Murray? What about what Bob? What about Bob? Yeah, like exactly. That? Oh my right? God, I've right? got to go Where back and look like at that. he's like seeing the therapist and he's taking all the baby steps. So yep. maybe we're all baby stepping. I mean, I, when you said that, I brought this poignant image to mind, right? Where he realizes, I think Richard Dreyfuss plays his therapist, right? Yep. He's gone away for holiday and he's starting to panic, right? So if you remember the scene in the movie, or if you haven't seen it, there's a point where, you know, he's kind of agoraphobic, right? So Bill Murray's having to convince himself to get on the bus so that he can basically go stalk his therapist. And he's literally wearing a piece of yarn around his neck with a ball jar and a lid. And he's got <laughs> liquid fish. inside of it and his goldfish. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe this is what we're all doing. You know, we all had to put our goldfish around our neck and we're, we're just, what about bobbing? Like one step at a time toward a disastrous encounter with, I don't know, someone famous like Richard Dreyfuss, maybe. For sure. Yeah. We can let Bob stick around for a little while, I guess. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I think the, the story of the what about Bob movie is, you know, his therapist is trying to fire him. So maybe yeah. that's why Bob's stuck as fire Bob. That could be, that could be poor Bob. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, What's in the name? <laughs> I know. I know exactly. It, this is phenomenal the way this conversation has gone today. And you've had the opportunity to write a couple of books over the last, is it three books over the last two years so far? I, I've written three books during the pandemic. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's and four mind blowing. It is. Even when, you know, even when I think about it, it's really remarkable. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, everybody else and their their grandma, I, I like to say, tried to start a podcast over the last two years. You know, <laughs> well, see, I avoided that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like there is some upside for sure. <laughs> what I mean, your role because you've been with Salesforce. I'm tracking the math. I think in my head, five and a half years, right, with Salesforce. Yes. And when did you 
bring in the thought leadership aspect of this? Was it around the time of the pandemic or was it something you've always done? When I joined Salesforce, I was fortunate. I had already contracted for my first book, Success with Less, Releasing Obligations and Discovering Joy. And so as I was talking to Salesforce about joining, I said, you know, I've already contracted for this book. How does this fit? And I'll never forget the prevailing sentiment was, oh, that's fantastic. Please publish a book. And particularly, you know, the nature of the book is about you know, releasing the obligations that no longer serve us to make room for the people and experiences that do. And they're like, please share that story. Yes. You know, they're like, our whole philosophy at Salesforce is business is the greatest platform for change. You'll hear us talk about first do well, then do good, you know, you know, heal thyself, then heal the world essentially. And your story is, is wonderfully within that context. So please do it. It also helps people to see, you know, that there's a path to share your thought leadership, you know, and work at Salesforce. And then over time, that just became a more prominent aspect of the work that I was doing. And uh, my boss had suggested, you know, hey, you, you do so much work with customer listening and engagement. You have a methodology. You should write a book about that. And I kind of laughed. I was like, uh, I've written a book. That's a lot of work. And it ended up being really just a fascinating scenario of being open to what's possible because I contracted to write that book, Listen Up, in February 2020. Wow. And when the whole world shut down and I knew my manuscript was due May 1st, 2020, I thought, well, you know, I won't be on planes. I won't be traveling. I could probably write a better manuscript and have it take less toll on me personally. And I submitted that manuscript May 1st. It was going to come out in October. And a week and a half later, no joke, I was speaking with my editor and we, we got started talking about working from home. And I said, I've been writing this blog and it's going crazy. You know, what's it like working in the publishing industry, you know, and, and working from home? And she said, working from home. Do you think you could write a book about that? And I laughed and said one of the dumbest things I've ever said in my life, which was <laughs> in my sleep. Okay. By the <laughs> way, you cannot write a book in your sleep, or at least I can't. And, and she said, do you think you could write it in two weeks? And I was like, what's in your coffee cup? No. And she said, how about 30 days? And I said two words that really changed everything for me candidly. I said, why not? I wrote that book in 30 days from that conversation until physically holding that book in my hand was 87 days. So I preempted my own book with my own book, which was hysterical because then I'm, I'm contacting people I interviewed for the Listen Up book. And I'm like, you're going to see me release a book. It's not yours, but yours is coming like two months later. Yeah. And then, you know, of course I took a breather and then people started asking, you know, well, we're not working from home now. We're doing something different. So now what? Where's the thought leadership to help us? So it kind of evolved organically. But so many times people will ask me a question like, how did you do that? Or, you know, how do we get past burnout? Or how do I make room for what matters? And, and what really showed up for me is thinking about, you know, how do we divest before we invest? Mm. Right? How, how do we choose at any given point in time the priority or priorities? divest of some things, even temporarily that are not in service of that priority so that you can invest. And so I think about replacing the word and with the word or, and then I kind of, you know, those moments of overwhelm that we all have, I have three questions that I sort of like to ask to find my way out of why do I feel like I have no time or why am I feeling so overwhelmed or how could I create space uh, that I like to share with people. Three questions are kind of a bonus question if you're up for it, but I think about it this way. Does it have to be, does it have to be me? Does it have to be me right now? Bonus question for the win. Does it have to be a meeting? 
And what I find within that is if, if oh, I can I step it. back and I see other people doing this as well, you know, when you step back out of the constant execution mode of you have three meetings booked at a time all day long or whatever your scenario is, and you, you apply those three questions in the bonus question, it's a wonderful filter to say, you know, everything is not urgent. You know, if everything is important, then nothing is important. So I think, you know, those help create space to do things like publish three books during a global pandemic. Yeah, no joke. That's phenomenal. I love that. And I love how you wrote, you know, they're like, hey, can you write it in two weeks when you're like 30 days? And the, the answer you had was why not? Or I guess the question was why not? The response you had was that. And when I wrote my book, it was a couple of years ago. You know, I'm, I guess I'm a writer. I, I don't, I'm an author. I don't consider myself a writer, but even I did that in three days and it was just whatever works. And, it, you know, it's the podcast thing over the last couple of years. Sure, everybody was like picking up a microphone and everything, but there's this thing that's so daunting about writing a book, you know, and there's so much that's in so many people's heads that could get down on paper or on Kindle on an iPad or on a or whatever and get out to the world as a good message, but they're stuck. And for whatever reason, yes. And for whatever reason, I think that contextually, books still hold a certain gravitas or weight. Sure and do. I don't know yeah. if it's because we perceive them as having more permanence or if it's because there's something magical about the written word being powerful. It just seems to carry a weight and a gravitas. And therefore, you know, there are stories we all start telling ourselves like, you know, oh, this is so difficult, right? Or, you know, you start to try to write and you discover maybe you have more practice at speaking than writing. And for me, writing is not necessarily how I speak. It doesn't work exactly that same way yeah. because you're missing the context of, you know, the shift in our tones or this back and forth engagement. And so I've found also it's a different skill, but I think we do seem to hold still largely books as something weightier. And so therefore it's easy to sort of psych ourselves out. Right. About that. And one of the best tips I got, by the way, when I wrote my first book. So if anybody listening is stuck in that, you know, I want to write a book. I think there's a book inside of me that needs to come out to the world. There is a, an app. It's called 750 words a day. And it literally challenges you to write 750 words about hmm. anything. This could be 750 words about the beach vacation you would love to take, whatever, but it gets you in the habit of writing. And so then an ancillary suggestion that someone had offered to me in passing that I found helpful was if you're thinking about writing a book and you feel overwhelmed, start with writing some blogs, which, you know, a great blog is 750 exactly. to 1,000 I was going to say, that's a good medium-sized right. blog. Yep. Publish the blog, see what people engage with, see how that feels, then take a couple blogs turn that into a chapter, yeah. right? Because then now you're putting a couple things together. And I thought that was a great way to take a big goal and do the think big, act small was write a blog, put it out there, see how that feels, see what people respond to. After you have a couple, put them together. And I thought, okay, that's doable. And maybe, you know, you interview a couple of people and you've got a few quotes then, you know, so you're not always creating original words. You're, you're using some context from other people. I found that suggestion really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. And books as well, just as another tip, I've never talked about this ever in 200 and something episodes. When <laughs> I first started doing local and regional media, I'm talking television about four years ago now, the book was the secret key. And that was really the reason why I had written the book to begin with. It turned out to be an interesting book, I think, because it's all true stories from my life. But that was the secret key because of this gravitas that you're talking about. And for me, your calling. 
hard, right? It just it yeah. got you into a different circle, it right? Did. And people exactly. you at another level. Yep. You form a segment around that for TV, a five minute segment. It's like, I'm the author of the new book, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, oh, he's an author. Cool. We'll bring him on our lifestyle show on ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Yeah, and that was one of the things, but then you can wrap it back into what you're doing. And that was the way to get on this local re- regional media. And then you can accelerate because once you have those, this is tips for everybody. You know, once you have those, this is cool. I've never talked about this, Karen. Once you have those in line, you know, like 30, 35 appearances or something like that, then it came into this year to where it's like, hey, Bloomberg's okay with me. And I've done several Bloomberg appearances, Cheddar, Newsmax, you know, Fox, Washington, D.C., Fox and Friends is actually looking at me for the great resignation, what we're talking about today, you know, so it's all these things that just kind of coalesce and build this momentum. But you have to write the book first <laughs> in right. order for well, this credibility. You tapped into something very powerful, that word momentum. And I talk about in my latest book, Success From Anywhere, this concept. And I trialed it out on myself and found it worked and started testing it with people. And it's my version of think big, act small. I call it the five-minute fix. Oh, because cool. when it's something, I mean, imagine someone listening to you wants to write a book or or they want to be in a position where Bloomberg and Cheddar and Fox and Friends or any other number yeah. of media outlets, you know, Netflix, whatever, might be considering them. And, and it feels like this secret elite club, right? They're like, how do I get there? Or how do I make the time for that? And I think about the five-minute fix is this. What is a five-minute step you could take each day to move yourself toward your goal. So maybe for someone listening to this podcast, it might be watching a five-minute segment that you had recorded on a show. The five minutes might be looking at a page from your book. The five minutes might be downloading the 750 words a day app. The five minutes might be researching writing coaches or speech and presence coaches. Then the next day, book one. Then the next day, do something. And what happens in that five minutes is we psychologically all feel that we can find five minutes, right? It's the appetizer of time management. Yeah. You can yeah. always have one bite. And then if it, if it leads to the next step, great. If it doesn't work out, you don't feel overinvested. You're not caught in a cycle of like, I'm so off course. I'm failing at my big goal. My dreams will never come true. The good news is when it, when it works, you build exactly what you said, momentum. So a little bit at a time, you're getting this reinforcement, like I'm getting a little closer, I'm getting a little closer. And, you know, I feel the same way. I I went back and read the first blog I ever wrote the other day, and it's horrendous. It's awful. I look at my first TV appearance. I'm like, oh, it's terrible, right? Ugly, yes. It's it's terrible. You're doing odd things. You're saying strange things, right? You're not yourself. And then you're you're picturing this more polished version of yourself until you see it, and you're like, this is so awful. But then what did you do, right? You made some changes, you iterated, you kept practicing. And then, you know, you found your style, you found your voice, more opportunities came. And, you know, I found for myself, so I guess I would offer this as encouragement for anyone listening, and maybe you can relate. I mean, those first, you know, blogs, the first book, those first interviews, in my mind, I'm picturing, you know, getting to that tipping point, like, oh, I'm just one more interview away from I'm going big time, right? And then when that wasn't happening, I was like, I'm failing at this. This isn't going well. This isn't getting to the outcome I pictured. And what has been beautiful perspective, honestly, about doing three books during the pandemic and and having conversations like these is the benefit of perspective of stepping back and saying, yourself who wrote that first terrible blog and did that first terrible media interview, oh, look how far you've come. There's been a lot of bumps and bruises and it wasn't always easy, but you learned something, you got the benefit of experience. And I think when you zoom out and get some perspective, it's easier to see cumulatively over time 
that you're making that progress. That's why I love the five minute fix, right? It's like a little bit at a time, give yourself that feeling that you're succeeding at moving forward toward the success you're picturing. That's so important. It's so easy to get discouraged too. You're right. Cause as you were talking, I'm thinking it's like everyone who looks at this show now, they're like, Oh my gosh, it's Rick Jordan's show. You know, cause I found out a couple months ago, we're even top 20 in some countries overseas, which is awesome. I mean, that, that's incredible. Right. But then you look yes. at it, it's like, it's been three years and it's been over 200 episodes. And right. when I look back at the first episode, it's like, God, did I suck? You know? <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but it's this thing that takes some time. Cause when you're at the beginning of those three years, you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, that's going to take, that's three years. That's a long time. But then when you're towards the end of that and you're looking back, like you're saying, because you did those five minute things or you did episode by episode by episode, or you did chapter of the book, chapter, mm -hmm. chapter, mm -hmm. chapter. When you're done and you look back after you've generated the momentum, it's like, wow, that was only three years. Right. Well, and when I think about too, you, you know, sort of the days are, the, the days are long, the years are short, right? That's, that's the benefit of zooming out. I really think about this life cycle and for anyone really listening, I mean, I, and I would test this with you also, Rick, this might resonate. I really think about the life cycle of that journey as, as kind of find my voice, hear my voice, use my voice. Mm. Because any thought leadership that you put out, whether that's a podcast or a blog, or you're fantastic at putting out tweets that inspire or inform people, part of it is, is hearing what you get excited about, like being tuned into yeah. what is it that you have to offer that you would be excited to sustain over 200 episodes or four books or whatever that looks like. And then, you know, tuning into that voice, right? Like really finding your style because I, I find, and I'm sure you do too, people connect with you because you're authentically yourself at this point. Yes, you've polished maybe the way you ask some questions or prepare of course, or show up yeah. differently. And you learn a few tips and tricks about production. I'm sure that helped as well. But but then it's using your voice. And you know what you've done that's so beautiful and probably some people listening is you're using your voice and your talent to share your platform and let other people have a chance to use theirs as well. And I think that's sort of a, a powerful journey. And I found when I started writing, I didn't always speak in sort of my voice or my own authentic style because I was trying to get to the what will resonate, what might get picked up. And when I sort of let go of some of that and I was like, some of this isn't maybe authentically who I am or I'm missing parts. And I sort of let go of the need to show up as this, what I perceived well-marketed, well-spoken, you know, person and just said, you know, let's have some real conversations, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything changed, but it, I think that's a different level of being right in order to do that. And, and I'm sure you found that as well. I mean, finding your style, finding your voice and then having the confidence to use it, and to open new doors, it's a journey, right? It sure is. You know, and everyone who's listening or watching, go back just about 30 seconds and re-listen to what Karen just said. Because it, what Karen hit, would just hit on is the way to overcome what we like to call imposter syndrome. Because it, you're, you're being not yourself in order to be somebody who you think someone else might want you to be. And notice all the words that I threw in there. I probably could not have said it better than that. But that's the thing is you really don't know because you don't have their feedback. You, you, there's something to reverse engineering your audience. But at the same time, the right people are going to be attracted to you because you're only being you. Yes. And I started thinking about that. I mean, for everyone who's listening, I mean, think about a leader or a person who you respect, who inspires you or brings out the best in you. And what are the qualities of those people? And when I think about 
people like that in my life over time, it, it doesn't matter uh, what title they have or size of business they're in. The people I resonate with are deeply, authentically themselves and are not showing up with anything to prove to anybody and certainly not to themselves. And so therefore, they connect with you at a very authentic and real level and they bring out the best in you and they inspire you. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I mean, some of the best leaders that I've ever been fortunate to work for and best coaches I've ever had. And, and some of these are you know, executives in really big companies. <laughs> like one that comes to mind right now as we're talking about this, I mean, chief operating officer of a very big technology company. And at the same time, he would be sending me like jokes, like, you know, 50 things that people from the Midwest say, you know, and I'm like, how is he doing this? But, you know, he didn't take himself so seriously. He wasn't trying to like morph himself <laughs> into some perfectly polished person. You know, he could tell you a joke. He knew the name of every person working in the building. I'm talking janitor all the way through. Someone would take photographs nice. of him for something. One time he'd remember their name and 25 things about them 10 years later. And I thought, you know, that's not rehearsed. That's not coached. Yeah. That's yeah. He's just being real. Yep. That's incredible. Karen, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. One thing I don't have in front of me is where can everybody find you and your books? Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I, I regularly publish new thought leadership, including a really fun series that, that I'm writing right now and featuring how people are redefining success and also how people are reworking work. So I'm having a marvelous time sharing other people's stories and their genius. Uh, so that's a lot of fun, but I, I share lots of new ideas on LinkedIn and Twitter regularly. And also uh, the books are available at Amazon and Barnes Noble and all of your favorite online retailers and some independent retailers as well. So support them also. Awesome. Look in the show notes in the description, depending on what platform you're on, you'll see all the links there. Karen, this has been phenomenal. Thanks for being on. Thank you. I, I so enjoyed our conversation and I know that you're going to treat yourself after this. Uh, so a really, you know, <laughs> big reward for us for such a great visit. Big fat burger. You got it. Thanks. <laughs>